0: This week on Grip and Grin, we break down the steps needed to hunt a property, whether it's new or old acreage, the same rules apply. From e-scouting to boots on the ground, Andrew and I will cover the initial steps needed to make your 2021 whitetail season a success. Together, as we infiltrate the wilderness, we will point out strategies for identifying tree stand and game camera locations. And as always, we will highlight the game camera poll of the week to see what Mother Nature has to offer. And welcome to another episode of Grip and Grin, episode twenty for you tonight. Big number, big landmark for us right there. Big landmark. So uh, I feel like we've gotten very efficient at what we're doing, and uh, you know, I did throwback today, listening to uh, Andrew's twenty twenty Whitetail recap, and we've we've come a long way. We definitely have come a long way, and we've gotten a lot better.
1: You know, our whole situation has gone better as, as time has gone on. So, as always, check out Older Pods, share with your friends, check out the Instagram. That's popping. We got a bunch of fish up there, a bunch of turkeys, game picks going out weekly, bi-weekly, and uh, a bunch of other good stuff. So make sure to like and subscribe and share with your friends.
0: Yeah, we have a whole smorgasbord of things on our uh, Instagram. We've, uh, we're still, you know... Re, you know cooking and uh, celebrating the victories that we had in turkey and fishing season so um we still got those got go- those are going right now and uh soon enough we will be uh having some tenderloins Ah, uh, I can't of wait venison maybe some heart too mm. dude um oh, we we talked about that on one of the previous podcasts about you know Exploring the liver recipes. Yes, and please. So on and so forth.
1: DM us with some good liver recipe because we we're still struggling over here. I'm struggling bad, but something yeah something to take the edge off.
0: <laughs> I uh, I was listening to another pod today and there was a gentleman that was talking about how, you know, out in the field the family would pretty much eat the heart of the deer in the field raw. And I was like, Murphy. I don't know Murphy. about <laughs> that.
1: I, I don't think I'll ever do that, but I respect the game.
0: The heart just has a weird texture to it, but we'll get to that. Yeah, we'll get that, to that's that. That's like an but... October topic right there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Just eating it like a like an apple. So um, for this
1: episode, we're going to talk about getting in the woods, as you see in the name of the pod. You know, We've briefly talked about our goals on the, the last podcast, so talking about the scouting, the overview of scouting for your upcoming whitetail season it's a very crucial part to having a successful season so we're gonna dive into pretty much everything here
0: yeah and andrew knows this firsthand because um as you all know he is down in massachusetts and he is doing this on the fly as we speak really and i'm still in my religious spot um here in central maine so you know these are things that I still do just because it's good to keep up in, in the now, really. Um, those deer patterns will pretty much stay the same, but it's important to, uh, you know, be on your toes with any scenario. Uh, but for Andrew especially, this is what he is doing. Um, <laughs> yep. <laughs> so, you know, if if you're going into a new area or if you're struggling to find a new spot, this is what you need to do. So... Um, we're going to basically break down how we go into a new piece of property and what to look for, what to do in that new piece of property. So
1: for doing that, normally you would do some e-scouting and some research. So saying that you already know a spot that you can go to, so that just takes a lot of different, like, searching on the web, finding access points, talking to people, getting your permissions, making sure you're following all the rules – you want to e-scout these properties that you do have. And to do that, you want to look for key features because you're not going to get like a real fine detail from e-scouting, but it's going to give you, it's going to point you in the right direction. So you're going to find things of interest like pinch points, bedding areas, food sources, access points, if there's trails or um, tote roads on the property. So we'll, we'll break those down a little bit further, but Overall, when you're e scouting, you're going to be looking for those types of pieces.
0: Yeah. And like Andrew said, you want to make sure that you are able to hunt these locations, you know, getting your permissions in line because you don't want to put all that time and effort into e scouting and then realize, oh shit, I can't hunt this property. Sometimes I dream, but that's okay. (laughs) You can, you know, you can if you want to. Like this would be a great spot for a tree stand, but um, pinch points are. Are essential, especially if you're hunting in a large piece of property. Um, I, I mean, I, know, I would it, even say small piece of property because, like, yeah.
1: it, it, it's like it's a major piece to whitetail hunting. A, a pinch point is like definitely where you're going to be wanting to set up because that's where you're going to have a high volume of traffic. Even if you're on a 20 acre piece or a 300 acre piece, it's all the same in the grand scheme of things.
0: And the pinch point could be cover, you know, trees that are. narrow down but also i would even say you know uh riverbanks or like um topography the 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 landscape can actually you know form a funnel for you as well so if you have a saddle or something like that um you know the low lower points um you know checking those lower points uh when you do eventually get boots on the ground which we'll talk about but uh, seeing those trails up close and personal from an aerial shot, if you can have access to a, a topographic map, that would be key as well. Um, also, looking at those tree canopies to make sure that you have the cover there.
1: Yep, and on those pinch points. So with these pinch points too, like what I've been looking at, and I'm just gonna I'm gonna refer to what I'm going through right now because it just makes it a lot easier. But I'm dealing with like you have roads intersecting, and then you have houses and communities that are like pinching the woods together. So you have to look for these different points for where, you know, human activity actually funnels deer movement into a certain area where you might have a 300-acre piece, but you'll see that there's 100 yards in, there's a little pinch point between, you know, two developments where high traffic deer movement are in there, and they know where it is safe to be, so you don't want to, like, overlook spots, think, oh, I have, like, all this acreage to work with. I know exactly to go way down in there, but you don't always have to do that. You can overlook a lot of these spots that you're walking by as you're going to something that's deeper in there. So when you're looking on the the, the uh, e-scouting, any sort of satellite imagery, you want to note all these different points so then you can investigate further.
0: Yeah, and with those pinch points, you know, he was talking about roads and houses. <sighs> You know, you might have that concern of like, well, it's really tight quarters in here. What if that deer pot, you know, potentially runs across a road, or what if that deer runs across like a property or like a, a neighboring property or whatnot? Cross that bridge when you get there. Don't have those concerns in the preseason. You know, if that if that worst case scenario does happen, just take it in stride and just take it one step at a time. You know, as you're tracking that deer, especially though, like right now we're just e scouting.
1: You just want to mark a bunch of locations that are, like, points of interest to check out. Like, you'll get there and you'll, you'll see that, oh, they're not really using this pinch point, but down here there's another, like, slope where there's a little saddle in the terrain where they're using that more so. So you just want to mark every location that's of interest.
0: Correct, correct. Um, which, you know, leading into this next bulleted point about points of interest, we're talking about potential bedding areas, food, swamps, you know, The bedding areas are those, in Maine, uh, those thick hemlock, any thick brushy areas. Um, You know, if you kind of see some open pastures a little bit, probably not the best bedding area, depending on the grass height. Um, You know, food sources, oak trees, um, you know, uh, beech nut, I mean, what have you. Uh, And those swamps are going to be really areas that those deer might bail to if they get into uh, a situation. So they can seek shelter in a swamp where nothing's really going to chase after it because, you know, it might cover up its scent, or if it's wounded, that deer might bed down in those swamps. Um, so those are kind of h- difficult at times to see on the e-scout from, um, from an aerial view, but just seeing those cluster of trees closely, um, you know, together is... Is going to be a good indication of like bedding areas. And es- but also look for elevation as well.
1: And especially for my scenario. So I can see when I'm e-scouting like swamps. And what I've noticed from the properties I have permission on, which I've gone. I have public permission, no private permission yet. And we talked about my goal was to get um, some private. <laughs>
0: I've
1: been striking yep. out badly. You know, I've, I've contacted 20 Assistance, people. Assistance, my man. We're worst, worst thing they'll say is no. But anyway, <laughs> the one thing I noticed about the just the ecosystem and the habitat down here, a lot of the bedding areas are near swamps because that's when you get the thick underbrush. So if you're in an area like I am, noticing that on e-scouting, satellite imagery, it's really going to help you narrow down like, okay, well, they're probably going to be here, and then I see an orchard over here. Maybe it's across the road, not on that property, but – you can kind of connect the dots there and just have a, you know, a really, really broad overview of what the movement would be like.
0: Yeah, and there are some things I want to mention, but I'm going to wait till we get into the more nitty-gritty uh, boots on the ground or setting up so potential spots. But Another, um, another big, big ahead.
1: piece would be identifying points of access. So you might have this nice 150 acres, but do you have to walk a mile? <laughs> To get to your spot, that's been done. I, I do that's it. That's been done. I mean, I do it. Yeah. But not- noting all entry points into a piece of property, given wind direction, how often you can go like in one certain route, and mix up you know your routine of getting to your stand. Maybe there's trails there that you can see, or there's tote roads, which is great places to either if you're rifle hunting, have a place to set up with nice shooting lanes, or have access down
0: and you know always have a plan b in your back pocket because you know a very specific detail like i've hunted property before that middle of the hunting season it was ownership was uh somebody else bought the property and they ended up posting that property and when you walk into a hunting area that is under you know new ownership and you see those posted signs nothing's worse than going okay i can't hunt this property But are there, you know, bordering properties that I can still hunt? And do I have those access points as well? So having multiple um, access points, like Andrew said, is going to be crucial to getting into uh, your tree stand spots, not just in the case of that, but also in the case of wind direction, so on and so forth.
1: Yeah, exactly. And that that pretty much covers the entire e-scouting because you're just marking all these things online and then you're going to investigate further by getting boots on the ground which transitions us to actually investigating these points of interest.
0: So This is like our favorite part. We're actually going to be doing this come Friday, Yeah, Saturday. Saturday. Yep, so
1: hopefully that all works out that we can do that because I'm excited. I always love scouting, and I've been doing it pretty much daily on the weekdays where after work, Mm -hmm. you know, I have a bunch of different public spots that I've been investigating, so... I've done all my e-scouting on it, and then, you know, I'm, after work, I'm showing up. I already know, like, all right, these are the places I want to go to. And then those pinpoints that you mark down just lead you to areas where there is more traffic because I first-hand experience those points that I've marked down have led to um, good sign, good hunting areas, access points, and whatnot.
0: And you also, once you get those boots on the ground, um, you know, initially, when you get to those marked locations, it's always good to take pictures of those locations. Yes, it's out of season, but it's good to see the landscape and kind of get a visualization, even if you're like sitting at dinner or like laying in bed at night and just seeing like, okay, visually, you know, with the picture, you're able to analyze it a little bit more in depth because you have the time to do it. Um, But just, yeah, familiarizing yourself with the landscape and taking those pictures, you know, whether it's sign, a scrape, a rub, you know, from past uh, previous years, you know, those little things might just, um, you know, be the the key to setting up a tree stand in that particular location. So, but to build... Recording photos is key. Building Uh, off that,
1: like, it's great to share with another person. So, like, we do it all the time, me and you, were. I take a picture, you take a picture, like, oh, this would be a sick spot to set up. What do you think? Like, oh, yeah, blah, blah, blah. Do you take this, that, and this other thing into account for when you're actually doing it? Like, you know, oh, should I step on this right, run? Right. Or do you see this? Like, I'm seeing this. What's your opinion? All, all this information is just good for you to gather. But when you get boots on the ground, so you're showing up to this property, you know, you're going to be – looking for runs, bedding areas, rubs, scrapes, food sources. So as you're walking through the woods, and I've been doing this daily, so I I can really relate to this, (laughs) you're really going to be eyeing potential hunting locations. So Mm -hmm. this includes marking places for tree stands, which we could talk about for the whole episode,
0: and we probably will in the coming months. (laughs) But. So so with those locations, too, you know, everybody has a particular tree that they like and so on and so forth. But, you know, keep in mind that you're scouting it during the early months. Like there's a lot of leaves on the trees, um, you know, maybe not in down where you are, but up in Maine, you know, those those leaves usually drop what end of october -October. mid-october mid-october
1: easily especially if you have a rainstorm wipes them out
0: real quick so i mean personal preference i'm just saying like hemlocks you know those are great little trees that that uh, retain their cover and um you know if you're going with an oak tree or something like that personal preference if i'm going with a tree that has leaves that are going to be dropped in mid-october i might go a little bit higher so just the line of sight, um, but uh, taking pictures and just, like he said, marking those trees um, of potential tree stand spots.
1: So when you're looking at tree stand locations, so let's say, you know, you've done your e-scouting, you found, like, a good pinch point, you get to that pinch point, hell yeah, I want to set up here. You want to be mindful of a lot of different things. <laughs> many, Man- many different factors. So even before you get in there, we know especially where we both are, we have a dominated northwest wind. So yeah. you can see that on your satellite imagery, like, okay, this is the general wind direction. So you want to be mindful of the wind direction. You want to be mindful of the sun. Are you getting sunblasted at 8 a.m. or 4 p.m.? Or how can you access that point? Is it a mile walk? Is it 100 yards? Do I have to cross over deer runs? That go by the scrape, all these different things.
0: Yeah, I, I was just recently out in the woods checking my cameras, and the spot that you and I were like, Delta High. Delta High is a spot for next year. And I was out checking that camera by Delta High, and lo and behold, that entire tree that I would be sitting in is just getting like sunblasted at like 9 a.m. And I was like, ooh probably not a good situation. And
1: you can see where you have that game camera up, because we have that posted on our Instagram, so make sure to check that out. You have a decently good buck on there. We'll talk about that later. However... Yes, sir. (laughs) However, when you find... When you take all this into account, you find a good tree. This is when you want to note your potential shooting lanes, and clear them, or at a later date, clear them, so that you have those that when season comes around, you're like, Oh, I didn't get that twig or I didn't get that branch or whatever. Or the tree I have to climb, you know, it's like a dead pine, or not a dead pine, but like the underneath is all dead. You have to break all those branches up when you climb up. So noting things to clear, but not over clearing them.
0: Yeah, if I'm if I'm out in a spot and I've never hunted it and it's a new spot and you know, I usually bring snips with me and I'll bring like a bucksaw or something like that with me just to, you know, if if anything needs to be cleared out with obviously permission to do that on that property. But when I do that, it sounds so ridiculous, but it makes sense. At times I will crouch and I will walk those deer trails that I see visually when I got the boots on the ground and I will walk those trails but keep an eye on the tree that I that I picked out. And any tree, branch, limb, or anything that's in the way, just snip it. And when I snip it, I don't touch it. You know, I just let it fall on the ground. Um, I usually do a lot of that cutting sooner rather than later. Yes. Because you want to eliminate scent as much as possible, which we're going to keep saying that. But, you know, if you can get out there, do your research, and do everything at once, and then back out and give it some good time to settle back down, that's key. Um, and any cuts I do with like little saplings, cut it right down almost to dirt. And I usually put some dirt right over it. So yes, those deer will probably recognize where the fuck that tree go. Like it's their backyard. You know what I mean? They're going to know, but eliminating as much as that, like cut scent as much as possible is crucial. And on top of that, to build off that, um, it would be great
1: if allowed, if you can have a buddy with you. Because you can even climb the tree. They can be up there and be like, oh, can you snip this branch and this branch? So you don't even have to, you can do as minimal cutting as possible. Because where we are, like, we're not hunting big ag, we're hunting the big woods per se. Oh, yeah. So we're not, we don't have open lanes, like, just given to us all. We have like easily 60 yards of view. We're in like green pen only territory where, Every snip matters in the grand scheme of things.
0: Yeah, I mean, it basically boils down to the fact that we are trying to catch these deer on the move from bedding to feed. From bedding to feed, bedding to feed. We're trying to catch them in the middle. Like he said, we're not sitting over, like, a field of corn or, like, a field of alfalfa. Like, you know, some people have the property, private property, to do that, but we do not. Yeah, we're, so. we're strictly,
1: like as a whole hunting just in woods there's no fields at all and you know I, I allude to it a lot where my woods is different than your woods now because mine's a lot more open so i don't have to trim at all sometimes but trimming you're trimming your cover at the same time you're trimming your shooting lanes
0: Yep, and remember that with bow your shooting lanes are are going to be close proximity. So you don't need to be snipping anything. It's like, f- you know, beyond 40 yards. Like, don't worry about that unless you know for a fact that you're going to be hunting rifle there. You know, for future reference, if you know you're going to be hunting rifle there, that's fine. But, um, you know, with Bo, you're, you're close proximity. You're, you know, the ideal Green Pin City is, uh, you know, 15 yards. You know, <laughs> yeah. That's like the, that's like the, yeah, baby. Hell yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, if you know you're going to be hunting that bow and gun, then, yes, you could, you know, cut a little bit further out, but pick specific lanes. Like, like Andrew said, don't just go in there and clear-cut this entire thing and open it way up because those deer are going to favor those, those tight uh, quarters, those really brushy areas. You know, give them something to play around with. And in addition, those uh, branches that are kind of, you know, pretty thick – Use those to your advantage. Use those so that, um, you know, as the deer comes in, oh, when it hits that branch, that hemlock branch that I can't see around, that's when I'll draw back. Mm. You know, use those as to your advantage. I mean, so that's th- that recommend perfect
1: point. And
0: to build off that, you know, you
1: could have separate tree stands for, all right, I'm hunting with my bow here, but once rifle scene starts, I can back up like 30, 40 yards and... I have this much more area I can cover because you don't have to be right on top of that run to then hunt. So, But another thing that I love to do because I love being as mobile as possible is having a lot of options for myself. I mean, even if you have ladder stands, you you want to have as many options as possible. So given different wind directions, you know, weather patterns, or I'm hunting the same tree over and over again, you want to be able to have like, oh, I'll just go to bravo or go to charlie and you'll you'll hear those terms a lot more as the season goes on because you know we name our different tree stands like alpha through charlie delta whatever so but if you're mobile like me you just mark locations where i can set up in this tree that tree or that tree and hunt the same run and have different opportunities which will help when season comes around
0: and some people might say well you know having too many Opportunities or too many locations is a bad thing because what if the deer come through one of those other locations and you're sit you can throw all that bullshit out the window because you have to take everything into consideration. Game camera, wind direction, um, weather, um, you know the time of year. Like you are as a hunter, you're taking everything into consideration to hunt the best to have the best percentage taking down an animal um, in that particular tree. Now, we were talking about tree stands. It's funny because growing up, we hunted on the ground. Like, we never hunted in tree stands. It was always on the ground, which, you know, that's something to consider too. You might be in a ground blind. Um, Some locations might have a better setup for a ground blind. So, you're shooting beneath the canopies, Um, you know. So, we're not just saying strictly tree stands. We're just saying locations. So... You know, have options, like he said, about, you know, having a saddle, maybe a ladder stand, maybe a blind, or maybe you're just sitting on the ground with your rifle um, in a nice little, like, you know, depression in the ground or
1: something. And not even a rifle. I mean, there's plenty of scenarios where a tree stand is just not possible. There's too much underbrush where you can't shoot down with your bow. You can hunt on the ground with your Charlie. Boat. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like... And your one property that you hunt, you have, let's say, five, six, seven locations. And you have one or two, maybe even three locations that's on the ground or in a blind. Like, you have to take all these things into account, maybe. And you're hunting with your bow and your rifle. So, you have all these different moving parts that you have to, like, keep in mind when you're looking at, all right, I want to hunt this area and what's the best way to hunt this area because it's not always up in the air sometimes it's on the ground in the thicket and just build up your little like ground blind natural ground blind whatever you want to do because you want to put yourself in the best position possible
0: and whatever you do this is a nice transition um whatever you do make sure you pick up after yourself Mm -hmm. like you and i see this all the time uh especially in expanded zones where if you're going into an area and you're like shit like this is going to be a good spot and you get in there and you're like fuck yeah like this is a good spot and then you look over you're like oh shit and there's like blind mesh on the ground or like maybe there's like an old ladder stand still in the tree use those to your advantage you know don't get discouraged if you see a tree stand and you're like oh shit somebody's hunting there i can guarantee you they're probably not if the like tree is growing into the tree stand like We've seen that so many times where we see these like vintage tree stands and use that to your advantage because those hunters have already done the hard work for you. They have set up in the best location of where those deer are going to walk through. Use that to your advantage. Um, you know, countless times I've seen that and it's like, Oh yeah, somebody's hunted this spot. So, okay, maybe I'll hunt in the, the same direction there they are, you know, just, have an open mind walking into that location. And I want to add a point that we didn't,
1: I haven't discussed with you before now. So, you know, if I've been scouting this property and sometimes, you know, I'm going to be dealing with other other hunters. So, you know, I've seen like old activity of hunters, but I did see new activity. So someone's Mm -hmm. marking up like, little orange like marker tape, tree tape on branches. So I'm like, okay, he's looking at this area. I was also looking at it. Now, taking into consideration that someone is probably going to be there. So now you can use that as another data point where there's pressure right here. So there's going to be a natural pinch point within public land where, all right, I'm between hunters. They're going to be coming through here, and that's where I'm going to clean up. You know what I mean? You want to take into account... Other hunting pressure activity. Now,
0: this is just a quick question for you. How do you know that that's another hunter?
1: Because when when I'm out there, I've been out there, give or take, 10, 12 times. So I've been down this like this trail before. So I've seen like okay, there's old markings here and there, whatever. But I saw brand new tape, walking down into where I had a camera set up. And I was fine with it because I was like, this spot has a lot of activity. But I was thinking, if someone hunts here, there's going to definitely be – this is going to be a point of interest to them because it's going to be, like, kind of in there, kind of in the thick of it, right in the middle of the property. So now I know, all right, well, I can go to the outskirts of the property. He's going to stink it up in there because he's probably not taking all the precautions, maybe, hopefully, and I can clean up on that. So if you're going to this property multiple times like I am – Keep note of every little thing because you can see it build up, especially as August turns into September, which turns into October. You're going to see more and more and more people coming out there.
0: Yeah. I I just keep, I'm sorry, but I keep having this uh, thought in my mind. Remember, was it last year or two years ago, I had that gentleman come in behind me and then sit less than 50 yards from me. And that, yep, remember that? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. Uh, well, I found his access point and he was doing the same thing. He was marking with like surveyor's tape of how to get into that point. He was walking almost like a quarter to a half a mile to get in there. Screw him. I took down all his surveyor's tape. <laughs> I'm like, he's not going to sit on top of me again. But that just gets into ethics. You know, don't screw me over. You know? Yeah. That's just. Yeah. If you see don't a don't hunter
1: like. You no, know, I'm hunting public. I hunted public last year and the year before. Respect other people's locations. And this person came in. I already had a game camera in there. I've already been in there, but I didn't like. He maybe not have seen my camera, but if he wants to be in there, sure. I have six other spots on the same property where I'm a okay to hunt. You know, right. you can't get discouraged by that because you can only control what you can control, especially on public. Right. Just got you got
0: to roll with the punches. Right. Like it was, if you're respectful and we're both hunting public, if you see me and you oh, oh, wave and then like walk in the opposite direction and then like, okay, go sit somewhere else, dude, have at it. Like hopefully you get that big, that big buck, you know, whatever. But if you know that I'm there and then sit 50 yards away from me and I can still see your bright orange, like, come on, you don't do that. I mean, sitting on the same run, Sitting on the same goddamn run. I, I've done it before where I back
1: when I was at school, I would walk in, and this is when I just learned the property, and then I was getting to my tree stand. I didn't realize there was another one 50 yards away. I saw him there. I didn't even go to my tree stand. I backed out, sat on the ground somewhere else, and then just did my hunt, moved my tree stand the next day. You can't. You can't win everything, you know. You're not going to get every perfect point, but use that to your advantage. Last year and the year before, I capitalized on hunting pressure to find pinch points that you don't see e-scouting. You don't see it like, oh, there's a natural tendency to go between these two developments or in this valley. It's just flat, open oaks, and then, oh, there's a hunter on that end and that end. I'll go right between them. You know, maybe you're 75 yards away. But that's where they're gonna run through because they know that, oh, there's two hunters there. If I go here, I'm safe.
0: Right, right. And use, you know, hunters persistence, the the traditional like hunter that parks a truck, walks in, sits at the same spot, walks out. You know, use those hunting pressures to your advantage. You know, I I had a gentleman on the same property that I hunted that he would come in. Uh, on one side of the property and just constantly bleat about the <laughs> doe bleat back and forth back i'm like dude what the hell are you doing mm-hmm. um but uh kind of use that pressure to my advantage because the deer obviously knew that that was not another deer <laughs> like there's just no way um and i never heard shots ever so um uh, but use that hunting pressure to your
1: advantage and so We've been talking about tree stands and setting up locations for blinds. However, with this like, you know, August time frame, you want to get your game cameras out there. So maybe like, okay, this is a potential tree stand location. Let me throw a camera on this pinch point on this run uh, in this bedding area. And let's see what's actually going on in there. So you want to mark the locations or set up your cameras, if you're allowed, in these spots so then you can get data.
0: Yeah, and uh, you know, as far as you kind of you threw this at me, and we'll we'll probably talk about this again, but I'm gonna bring it up now. Um, Height of your game camera. Yeah. What do you think? So, like, how high do you put your game cameras?
1: I put well, we both put our game cameras like what two to three feet off the ground, right? Yes. But I've been seeing online a lot of people. You know, they actually put it up six feet, seven feet, into the tree and angle it downwards. So then it puts even less pressure on the deer, which is pretty cool. But, you know, like our game cameras can't do that. But if you have those mounting brackets that are able to angle down over like a scrape or a run, you know, it it could limit your exposure to the area. But that that's just an interesting point to note.
0: It's kind of funny because, like, with me, I put it at three feet just because... It almost blends in better, in my opinion, to, to like, the human eye, not the deer eye. Like, the deer obviously see the fucking camera. They look right at it. They're like, what the fuck is that? And, you know, after, like, I don't know, a week, they're fine. Like, they're just like, yeah, there it is. Like, whatever. They just get used to it. They adapt to it. They know it's not a threat. But, like, hunters, I mean, six feet in the tree, I'm always looking into trees. Like, I'm never looking at the base of a tree, you know? So, like other people, I feel like it hides it better if it's like three feet off the ground, which most people are like, what are you talking about? But if you have some branches that are next to it and whatnot, I don't, that's why I just put it at three feet. So,
1: some other things to note when you're setting up these cameras, you want to know like if the sun is rising or setting right in front of your camera. And yep. maybe, you know, you want to tuck your cameras away a little bit, you don't want them just out in the, the wide open area where, all right, this is obviously, like, not supposed to be here. If you can tuck them away, great. However, if there's, like, you know, a little, like, sapling in front of you that's going to sway in the wind, maybe, you know, trim it a little bit if you can. (laughs) Maybe you'll get 120 pictures of the same branch blowing on August 14th, going back and forth in a windstorm. (laughs) Like, we don't want that. But it's
0: it's like October when you get the leaves that are blowing around everywhere. And you just get pictures of like, it almost looks like leaves that are just like in front of your camera, just like stagnant. Oh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I hate
1: that. Yeah. So, you know, you want to put these cameras on potential hunting locations and use that data to your advantage. I've already, you know, I've done a couple camera pulls. I've noted, all right, this, this is not like the run I thought it was, even though it kind of looks... Whoa, whoa, whoa,
0: whoa, 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 whoa. What? You've pulled the cameras? I did. You fucker. I told and you. I told any- you, yeah. We were gonna record okay. yesterday.
1: However, I had a migraine, so I was like, maybe a walk in the woods will do better, if you remember. So I pulled my cameras yesterday. And, and? nothing like you. Oh stop it. For Christ's sakes, are you at least getting some? I'm getting some deer, deer there. on there. But okay. not right. nothing no more than a forky which Dude, is what fine. i expected. However, that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> I there so i have four locations on one property. Let's let's get into it for a second. Four cameras <laughs> on one property. I knew i was going to move some of them if you know there wasn't a lot of pictures on it. And given the right. game camera i have, i can see how many photos are on it before you know having my laptop to check them. So, that's key. Yeah. You know, i i checked my cameras, all right. Couple of them were good on these certain points and then there's one where i just didn't get anything so pull that i'm going to put it on a different property that i want to check out which i set up today and use that to your advantage where all right this point like i thought this spot was going to be good and given it's august it was one week but i could just tell already my hunter instinct took over where this isn't the spot so we know, yeah,
0: like Alpha, for example, not getting many photos at Alpha. It's like they're mostly now Delta. Yeah, exactly. You know? So you know, I'm adapting to
1: it. Where, all right, let's we can. Oh, we noted it. I can always put a camera back there. I'm going to relocate right. this one. Get some information before hunting season on a broader, you know, area. So then, all right, I have just more data to work with.
0: Yeah, cool, awesome. Well, I didn't know you pulled your. Freaking cameras, you've been holding out on me. I right, h- held on,
1: yeah. on on you because I had a fucking migraine. We couldn't record. However, so talking about what I got for camera pics, uh, so I got the sick owl picture. Oh, really sick mid flight coming down. Well, I'll hopefully cool. post it. It's very blurry. Not very blurry, pretty, pretty blurry because it's flying. But I got the, the, I take two photos in a series. So I got a nice one, just full wings. Out. So, so that's pretty cool. Nice. I got a uh, Fisher. If I yeah, pretty damn good sized one too. But nice, plenty of does, plenty of fawns, and then a small bachelor group of forkies. So that's pretty cool. No, no spikes actually. But I've only had my camera out for s- six days, and I wanted to check it just to. You know, I wanted more data, so I'm not gonna have still to... in
0: velvet though, right? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Now, is there velvet? Like, is it starting to point out? Like, starting to get little like, you know, what I yeah, mean, like yeah. they don't have nuggets on top of their antlers. So, so like...
1: the ones that I saw, you know, they're looking like they're they're matured antler growth, but it wasn't the best pictures. They were kind of a little bit distant, but you yep. know, good sign. But, I'll
0: say, come September, you'll know who they are, or what they
1: are. Yeah, exactly. And on top of that, you know, make your hit list. Note the directions yes, they're coming from. Note the time of day. <sighs> See,
0: that's that's what I gotta
1: friggin' do. But you know, we'll get into that because it's early season, not as important. But just note it. In the meantime, till like you know, September and October roll around, where the direction and time of day is key cuz they'll have yep. their they'll have their fall patterns. But I think it's time to talk about, you know, setting up these potential spots. You know, we've already talked about it. You know, summer patterns and fall patterns are different. So you might see a run like, oh shit, this is the place. I always have an asterisk next to all this data
0: where it could be yeah. different. Yeah. Yeah, so like you say like I mean, it's a very good point. And I, it was funny because I was watching a hunting show and they were doing the same thing. I was like, "Hey, we do that." Um, recording the direction that these deer are traveling. For me, early on, eh, I'm not really concerned about which direction they're coming from. In you know early August, I'm going to wait a little bit longer. You know, maybe September, I'll start recording some stuff of the directions they're coming in and whatnot. Um, lo and behold probably a lot more, uh, nocturnal traveling at that point. But, um, the direction they're coming and going, that's going to be key as the season gets closer and closer. But, um, yeah, their patterns are going to change. That's, that's just a given. You have the rut, maybe their, uh, food source is changing. Maybe they're getting pressured. Like there's all these different factors that are going to impact the, that deer population in that area. So you need to be mindful of, you know, it's not going to be the same, which, most hunters would say, well, duh, but, you know, there's a lot more factors there than we think. Um, you know, maybe household domestic dogs are going to running through the woods and pressuring these deer. That shit has happened, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so just, especially if you're hunting in, you know, down your area, that's not going to be, I, I bet you that's going to happen.
1: Oh, I'm so. I already, like, you have to have the mindset, if you're hunting a public area or, in a populated area you're gonna have curveballs that you don't see if you're in a very rural area where oh we got people riding their bikes people running dogs people on fucking horses like anything You, you you don't know what's gonna affect your hunt but you just can control what you can control so another thing you can control is the amount of time you spend in these hunting spots so I have one property, one public spot that is pretty much ready to go. I'm limiting my time in my areas I want to hunt only to check my cameras. Try not to put my scent in there. Try not to, you know, drip my sweat everywhere I can. Or take a piss right on the deer run. like, just try to minimize your scent in the woods while you're at your hunting locations.
0: Yeah, so... We talked a little bit about it already, but, um, you know, checking your cameras once a week is fine. You know, last year I checked them every other week, biweekly, um, just to minimize my, my time in the woods. Recently, more recently, I've done um, every week. You know, this week I've held off a little bit longer because you and I are going to check them on Saturday, which that should be a, a freaking dandy of a time. But, uh, you know... Getting the cutting, getting all that done early on is key, is essential. Um, You don't want to disturb too much, um, you know, frequency. You just got to be mindful. Um, Just got to be mindful. If you can get in there maybe once or twice, three times before the season starts and get everything done and out of the way with, that would be perfect. And Um, and then, like, the last, like, sorry to interrupt you, but the last, like, 30 days, that last month before the season – I mean, you shouldn't even be going in the woods, really. Mm -hmm. If you can maybe go in once to check those game cams and then done, perfect. And that data from
1: that one poll will be more than enough for opening day. and Correct. Not to beat a dead horse here, but, you know, when you're setting up your spot, you know, make sure, you know, you you don't overcut your your shooting lanes. You don't, you know, spread your scent around. Don't just – don't be – stupid it you know like for a new hunter it's obviously not as easy to like all right I have to think about all this stuff I've made the mistake I make the mistake still where I'm just trudging around through all this prime real estate pretty close to hunting season because you know I'm crunched for time I just got permission or all these other things just try to be mindful of all these different factors that you're you're putting on the deer and it's going to affect your hunt in the end so and another thing I would love to note because I we've both I think messed up with this is mark your route to your tree stand or you're blind
0: <laughs> uh, it, yeah. and you brought this up like last year and you were like dude be more mindful of this and I was like shit I never really thought of that like your access points to your tree stands are you crossing over runs are you crossing over like know highways that these deer are traveling and if so what are you doing to possibly avoid that but also like cover up your scent so i mean i cross over one two three four possibly five runs to get to delta and that is just i mean it's crazy i mean there's almost no way around it in a sense so I'm. So what do you do in that situation? S- oh, shit, what do you do? Oh, shit, <laughs>
1: what now? That's a segment right there. Oh, shit, what now? What do we do? We have to walk over some sort of deer travel route to get to our tree stand. So last year, I don't know if I re- talked about this in my recap. Check it out. Um, what I had to do is I had to walk by a run and a scrape. So every time I walked in, you know, I usually always spray my boots down with dopey or estrus if it's rut. But when I get to the point where it's like, okay, we can't like minimize the scent as much as possible, reapply right there, and then walk through. Maybe I'm doing the scent drag. But my scent drag is more of I spray my boots down, which drags it through. And then people can tie like, you know, like a little paracord down to like a wick that they wet with estrus or pee and put it behind them. Maybe spray a couple branches on your way through. You know, I've done all that except the paracord method, and it works perfectly fine, minimizes my scent. But you just got to be mindful of that.
0: So that's what I do is, um, you know, an oh shit moment. If I'm going to do that, what I do is I have about three to four feet of paracord, and I have a carabiner, like a cheap uh, carabiner on one end, and then I tie a wick on the other end and I loop it around my boot. Um, and what I do is eventually, uh, when I'm crossing those runs, maybe I'll reapply that wick. And as I cross over that run, if those deer are traveling those runs, they'll pick up that scent and go, Whoa, Hey, and then follow that back to my tree stand. Um, just be mindful (laughs) that if you are going to do that, the way that you travel with that wick is the same way they're going to travel to you. So keep that in mind, you know, at times what I'll do is I'll walk down through my shoot lane to get to my tree stand and then I'll, I'll uh, drop off the wick at like a tree branch or something so that it's still giving off scent away from the tree stand. Um, it's just one thing I got to pick up on my way out, but if those deer are coming in, they're following that scent, say it's doe estrus and they're coming in, they're going to go that same route that you did. And eventually if they come to that wick, they'll sniff it and give you that shot
1: yep exactly so be mindful that when you're setting up your spots you know it's august now never too early to get in the woods get the boots on the ground get the scouting done now you know do it before september you know it's gonna help it really will help
0: and if you have anything i just thought of this too if you have like for example um sometimes i'll take uh the ladder steps that you screw into the trees, I'll use sometimes those as like bow holders or like just something to hang some of your stuff off, like little hooks and stuff like that. Anything that you can like put in the tree then and there, like right then and there, I would recommend doing that sooner rather than later so you don't have to worry about it on opening day. They do sell some other straps and stuff like that that you can wrap around the tree and um, other things. But uh, if you have like a bow holder or something like that, those are things that I might put out sooner rather than later just so it's it's off my plate. And one thing that should be on
1: here, and I thought it was, we we do it always. You know, make a checklist for the stuff you need when you go in the woods. So, like, for a tree stand, like, I need my sticks, I need my bowl holder, like you said. I need uh, my tow rope. You know, get your stuff organized now. Get it all together so that when... Either you're setting up your ladder stand, everything's already there. Or if you're like me and you're a little more mobile, you have it all together so that when season comes around, you're ready to rumble once the first day, opening day, is here.
0: Yeah, and we talked about that on a previous podcast of having that checklist. Um, It does sound silly, which it is and it isn't, just because it's checking off the box of, yes, I got it, yes, I got it. Um, You know, a tow rope, for example, uh, you need a tow rope. Like, I always leave mine out um, just so that the scent of the tow rope is, it's just, you know, doesn't have human scent on it. So, that's something I usually put out there a little bit sooner rather than later. Um, but uh, nothing's worse than forgetting a tow rope and then you have to r- literally put your bow over your head and climb up the tree. Yeah. That's just the worst. Yep. So, you know, little things like that here and there. But So, rolling into one of our
1: segments camera poll of the week you know we touched upon it earlier with mine let's hear what yes. let's see what you have to offer for that
0: oh uh, so i am essentially with my camera pole. i am i am learning the family tree <laughs> i am learning who's who i am learning who is traveling with who uh we all know that the bucks right now are bachelors like you said all those those forkies um are traveling together. Uh but uh I have two bucks, the, the two distinct bucks. Um one of them you did uh share on the Instagram there. Uh I have named this uh wide 8 pointer Bjorn. Um he is just he's a big deer. I mean there's no there's no doubt about it. He's just a big body deer. Um he's mm, I 180, maybe to maybe 200 dressed. We'll see. But I mean, he's looking good. Uh, His main beams are are coming in nicely. Um, He is also traveling with um, another deer that I call Hellboy. So the two of them have been traveling quite a bit together. Hellboy is like the same size as Bjorn. But I mean, he had that, that, uh, what's the word I'm looking for?
1: Uh, I can't remember it now. Holy crap!
0: He had like an issue with his antlers, like atypical. like a catastrophic event. Like no, atypical was uh, was uh, Hanson. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was the other photo that you shared on the Instagram of the deer with its head towards the ground. Uh, that is Hanson, uh, and you can see by that picture he's he's got stuff going every which way, but he has this main uh, this beam that comes out off off like the front of his head. So that's that's like a indication that um it's him but uh yeah, i mean my bucks are looking fantastic uh bjorn has been traveling primarily at night i would say seventy five to fifty percent of his travel is at night which is could range between nine p m to midnight right now um and then the other pictures i'm getting of him are at like five a m or like right at like dusk like just so um you know i'm not worried about that 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 time travel really um at this point in time just because it's so early um but uh the deer population out there looks really really good um i'm quite pleased with it um i could uh, i don't mean to sound greedy but you know last year having three shooter bucks i was a spoil. i was a spoiled little brat you know, I had options. Now it's like, okay, I I got a couple goals here, but, um, you know, patience is going to be key. You know, I'm going to see a lot of deer, but I'm waiting for, you're playing that game of waiting for that deer. It's like <laughs> turkey hunting, you know? Yep. It's exactly like turkey hunting. You're waiting for that tom, that one big tom. Um, you know, you might see some jakes roll through and they're tempting at times. You're like, ooh, ooh, do I, uh... Nope. Um it's just going to be the the game of patience really.
1: And you do so last year you had like three very quality bucks. You do have another quality buck in VP.
0: Oh, VP. Good pull, man. Um yeah, this uh VP is uh is a deer that more release more recently just showed up. Um and he's I don't even know what this sounds awful. I don't even know what he has for points. He's like a 6 or a small 8. Um, he's definitely second in command as far as like racks go. Um, but VP is he's almost got like some weird like uh they're not like straight tines, like it's weird. They're almost like squiggly. I mean, in a it's sense. a nice
1: basket rack buck. I mean, it definitely yeah. if it comes out it's going to be nice to see in your scope hopefully but um definitely a a rebuilding year we talked about the other day for you yeah
0: yeah definitely a rebuild year um you know and that's why you know I, i talk about seeing these these uh spike horns walk through at times it might be tempting but i have to remember that that's the younger generation that's coming up so you know my old man I know he's going to be listening to this, but you know, it, you see animals, you shoot, like, it's just like one of those like instincts of just like, Oh, it's a buck. You shoot it. Like, but over the years, I've become much wiser and much, much more patient. Um, and bow hunting has taught me a lot of that. And more successful. Being patient. It, yes. Yeah. You've, you, it definitely pays off to be more patient, but um, and not only that, but your nerves get calmed down a lot more too. It's like, you know, you see a buck walk through and you're like, Oh, huh? areas like there that's pretty cool like and you get to appreciate it a whole lot more which sounds you know silly to some like it's a deer shoot it you don't have to kill everything you see yeah (laughs) you know you got to enjoy you know these are precious animals that they feed us but also just watching them and admiring them in their natural habitat is like amazing it's just so special and you see shit out there you're like you tell people and people are like Yeah, okay, whatever. But it's like you can't even put it into words. Like some of the stuff, you know, does boxing each other, like just crazy shit that you see. And on top of that,
1: like, you know, out of season for me, uh, I can't speak on everyone, but you know, when I see like a doe and a fawn, I'm like, all right, that's pretty sweet. Like, those are like rugged animals where you're bringing up a fawn with you. You have coyotes, you have other predators, you have hunters. Car, like, they're surviving, and they're still, like, able to maintain a population and thrive. Very, very yeah. impressive.
0: And a thing I want to mention about Bjorn, uh, my number one uh, target buck that I have this year. And, Andrew, you can probably, uh, you remember this deer. Back in 2017, or was it 2018? 17. I had a, I had a buck that I named uh, Flex. I think it was
1: 2018. Is it? Oh, 18. Oh, okay. I thought we were going to say something else. Yeah.
0: Flex was just a deer that, I mean, massive beams and his antlers almost like they didn't go up, they almost like went out to the side. And, you know, the mass of his antlers was probably as big as around my like wrist. I mean, it's just massive. Bjorn has some of those characteristics if you look at him. You know he's got these antlers, good, good, solid beams that just come out and just go sideways immediately, but they almost go at like a a ten o'clock and a two o'clock off the top of his head and just go outwards, and, well, and that's got that's got flex blood right there for sure. And
1: we haven't sat down had the time to look at last year's photos to see if Bjorn is a repeating like reoccurring buck, like maybe you know when he. And once his antlers are done and the velvet's off, it will be like, oh, shit, that's whoever, you know. Like, right, we don't right. know right now because we can't really tell with the limited pictures. But, you know, it's pretty cool, you know, you bring up Flex, how we saw, you know, a couple years ago, Halo from a spike horn. That was mm. like a Halo that turned into one of the best bucks ever. <laughs>
0: uh, that deer probably, I mean... Gosh, what do you think he measured out to be? I mean ace measured out to be like one thirty four I bet Halo was probably like one sixty I
1: would yeah, I could say minimum one fifty
0: five I mean his tines were each like one foot almost like twelve inches and they just like
1: symmetrical straight and up. straight up it it was definitely impressive, you know, and yeah. the difference between you and I is I've been like very much nomadic with my hunting where i don't really get to hunt a target buck as much as you do where i just like oh this is a new spot and here's a shooter buck here where i don't get to build these almost sort of relationships or this storyline so that's something that you know it's always cool to see with you where all right bjorn's actually whoever and we get to see him all through this through the years
0: Mm-hmm. And it's kind of funny because like people are always like, "Wait, you name the deer that you shoot?" And they're like, "I'm like, yeah, I have to." Like, it it makes it. I don't want to say more personable, but I don't know how to it, describe it, it. It builds a story. It's just a it story. Does. It builds a plot.
1: To, we went from August where we're getting pictures of him. Oh, we had an encounter with him, and then oh, we got him.
0: Like, when I texted you and I said, I shot Ace, boom, you immediately knew which deer it was, the rack, you you knew the story that went along with it. Like, yeah, it just makes, I guess it makes, uh, you know, sharing it with your, hun- your hunting party like easier, but also, you know, identification of that deer a lot easier. Um, because as you study these deer, you pick up on these little things that they have and it just it makes it easier to identify them, so,
1: and on top of that, you can always look back years from now and remember when I shot Ace or when I shot High Tower or whatever. like you have these memories that you're building with them. And like I've never been the biggest fan of Naming Deer just because I've never been in a situation where I'm seeing the same buck. I'm like very much just scattered wherever I am. So I'm never building a relationship or a storyline to it. But it's always cool when you get the opportunity to do that. And hopefully we can build that story throughout this fall.
0: Yeah, I guess I do it too out of just respect. You know, I have a huge respect for these animals, what they have to go through, what they endure. I mean, yeah. I mean, if I like when I shot Ace, it's just a matter of respect. Like, I don't take it for granted. I'm like... I have a moment where I'm just, like, so thankful, you know. It's just, yeah, it's just a build-up. Yeah, I, I it's just, I do it
1: out of respect. And it's just way more fun to talk about. You can build the whole story and maybe even write a book about it. <laughs> Which, yeah, so
0: absolutely.
1: But on tomorrow's hunt, we're going to be talking more in-depth scouting. You know, we're going to dive into deeper rabbit holes when it comes to tree selection or game camera setups we're just going to get more and more in depth as the weeks go on with our conversations you know we don't know exactly what the next one's going to be about we just know it's about scouting and it's going to be a lot more in depth <laughs> and we're going to just talk the shit out of it
0: well i feel like this episode set us up for that we talked about some generic topics of you know e-scouting getting to that spot what to look for in that spot so on and so forth but now we're getting into like yeah the specifics um, some things that we had to hold back on on this episode, you know, maybe you know our game camera setup. What's that look like? Do we put it on video mode or do we do it on photo? Do we have a wide angle lens or do we just have a regular lens? Like, um, you know, what pixelation do you use for your uh, camera pictures? Like, everything. We're gonna just dive into these these loopholes of uh, deep content about our setups, and we're not saying that our setups are the setups that are, you know, that are necessity for deer hunting. We are saying that these setups are successful in our department. It works for us, and hopefully it works for you. And on top of that, you know,
1: if, if you made it this far into the podcast, you know, you can always shoot us a message about, like, please, oh, like, please, uh, <laughs> we, you should talk about this. Like, I have a, I have a question about that. We might not have the answer. Because I'm still learning, you know. We're we're still, like, pretty young in our hunting uh, careers. You know, we still have a lot to grow, a lot of things to learn about. But hopefully we can share some of our knowledge, our combined knowledge, to then give you some answers. And another thing, I just want to bring it back just a little bit because I wanted to say it earlier. You know, if you're not getting big bucks on cam, like, I know I'm not. And it's fine because once September rolls around, you're going to get newcomers coming into their fall ranges. So yes. you can't get discouraged like, oh, I'm just getting a bunch of does. Does are the key to everything. So don't get discouraged about those things.
0: Was it 2019 I shot Nomad? Yes. So 2019, Quick, quick story, Never even seen this buck before. Never even seen him before, and it was what late November?
1: Not late November, but it was late October when you got a picture, and then you shot him. Like remember, very early in the rifle season.
0: Yeah, so I mean, a buck that I've never seen before, and then like a week or two later, see that deer and walking into my tree stand, and that was the deer I got that year. Um, you know that. You have to remember that even the rut, like we talk about the Super Bowl, the rut, the Super Bowl, there's going to be so many bucks running around chasing does like you're going to see at least three to four bucks that you've never seen before. Um, you know, that's that's going to happen. Um, so that's another reason why I name these deers and identify these deer because if I'm in a tree stand I turn around, I see like a rack, I'm gonna know right away who it is. If it's a rack i have never seen before, okay, assess the situation. So um, you gotta you gotta be able to think on the fly and make those decisions um, quickly. So yeah. But reach out to us folks, please do. Uh, I just want to say this real quick. Sorry to cut you off there, bud. uh grip and grin podcast at gmail.com. You can email us or dm us on instagram um reach out to us uh please please with topics questions what have you and on instagram it's grip and grin underscore
1: pod just for you guys to know and thank you for listening you know we've come a long ways i you know we haven't said it before you know we appreciate the listens we hope you share with people you know if you have feedback for us just give it to us you know we're we're always trying to improve we know we're not perfect Hopefully sometime we'll be able to interview someone, but, you know, we have to build some credibility, so just give us something, you know, like, and subscribe, and share, you know, we appreciate it, we enjoy doing it, we do it because, you know, it keeps us connected over the 350 mile difference, you know, so we're just sharing. We do
0: this for a love, we do this for a love of the outdoors, you know, it's, we love doing this, and we're just doing it as, like, almost like a hobby, it's just what we love to do, so... I mean, shout out to, uh, I wanted to mention this too, because I'm following all the statistics on the episodes, shout out to New York, you know, uh, New York and Virginia, you guys are holding strong. Thank you so much for listening in to us. We love you guys. Um, that's fantastic. We, we do appreciate all the listens. We really do. Um, so thank you so much. And as always, folks get in the and get on the water.